Hello, hello, hello. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. <laughs> Meredith's drinking water during the intro. <laughs> you want me to drink water? I did. I want you to drink water. <laughs> this is Gritty Reboot. This is H2O for everybody, the podcast, <laughs> where we talk about all your favorite flavors of water. No, we talk about reboots here on Gritty Reboot. And today we have a the first installment of a series that we are very, very excited for. What is it, Meredith? It. That's right. Today we tear apart the Stephen King classic It. And specifically today, the ABC miniseries from 1990. Yeah. That's what we're going to be taking a look at today. We are going to be talking a little bit about the book, which I did read. And you know what? I held on to the book. I didn't take it back to the library just so I could slap it and you could hear how heavy the book is and I forgot it. It's sitting in the other room. I'm not going to go get it. It's too hot. But it is a beast of a book, 1,100 pages. If you buy the audio book, I think you're going to hear Stephen Weber talk for like 42 hours. Like, it takes a long time to read this sucker. And in 1990, the story rose to a new level with this miniseries that was an absolute monster hit. It was viewed by over 30 million people on, on both nights. And... The fear of clowns went into the stratosphere, basically. Mm -hmm. like everybody was afraid of clowns, and everybody knew this story, like the back of their hand, within a couple of weeks. Yeah. And that was the power of something that doesn't exist anymore, the monoculture, when you just had three channels. And so when one of them aired a miniseries like that, it could permeate every element of the culture, mm -hmm. as it did. It really does. Because when you talk spooky clowns, everybody meant Pennywise for about 20 years. Yeah. Everybody meant this version of that character. Well, even when the new It movie came out, there was that f clown phenomenon where a bunch of crazy people were dressing up as clowns all over town and scaring kids and stuff. Yeah, they were dressing up and doing all that weird stuff. Yeah. Caught on, you know, doorbell cameras and things like that. Showing up on the news and... Yeah, so, I mean, they're always... Amer Americans have had a fascination with creepy clowns. I don't know if it's an international thing or not, but I just know Americans don't like clowns. Yeah. I grew up with Bozo the Clown. Yeah. My dad was a big fan of Bozo the Clown. And so I watched the tail end of his show because I think his run ended in like 1990 or 91. I never watched him. Yeah. Like I said, my dad loved Bozo. So we watched that as a kid that came on, I think WGN, uh, the Superstation. <laughs> you know, back when that was a thing in cable. So I had a, a little bit of fam familiarity. I've, I have never been afraid of clowns. Ever. I haven't either. I don't necessarily like clowns. I don't but, like clowns either. But I don't necessarily dislike them. I'm I'm neutral, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I don't really have any real issues with them. I think they're lame. I suppose, I suppose. I, I guess it's a lower art form, but as a pro wrestling fan, I can't really judge any other art form. Yeah. It is what it is. But that is my, I guess my background coming into this. I am old enough to have actually watched this miniseries when it aired on television in 1990. And I can recall it. Mm. And the thing that I remember is that every, the next day, everybody in the playground was talking about it. Everybody. And that's the thing that I took away from that is it was the most popular show in the world. I thought mm -hmm. it's just one of those elements of that monoculture. Everybody talked about it. You, you don't get that today and, you, and you're never going to get it back. And, and listen, there's some elements of it that were kind of neat and most of it was kind of shitty, mm -hmm. you know, cause you got the same kind of crap on all three channels a lot of the time. But this was one really nice element of it is that like everybody was obsessed with, with it and Pennywise. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you know, um, you know, you're of a different generation, so it makes sense. Whatever. You know, you're, you're you alive. and I are in the same fucking generation. <laughs> you're just a little bit younger, so it's just, you know, I think that's just at the very back of where I can really remember like things about television and stuff like that. I do vividly recall it. I really do. And, I didn't watch it till later. Yeah, and I think I, I would eventually watch the miniseries again, 
uh, when it aired on Sci-Fi Channel years later when I was in high school. And, you know, I found it entertaining. And then I probably didn't watch it again until they were going to start. When I, when I first heard they were going to do a, a big budget remake, which I thought was a good idea. And I watched it again. I, I, I appreciated its charm. But obviously things were getting to be a bit dated, so it was a little bit rougher. And I probably hadn't seen it, like I said, since then. And we watched it this last week, uh, both installments. I, I ripped the DVD years ago, so we, we watched that old, old copy. Mm-hmm. But it still held up fine. You know, we still were able to get the story and everything like that. It doesn't make you realize how old that DVD is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how old that technology is. No kidding. Yeah. Now you see it, now you don't. It has returned with vengeance. It is evil personified. I'll kill you all. I'm every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. Can it be stopped? It's coming! Richard Thomas, John Ritter, Harry Anderson, It, the terrifying complete... All right, well, we open on a rainy day. A kid is riding her tricycle. We get a glimpse of the clown through some laundry, and she gets got by the clown. Yes, yes, this is a... This is not how the book opens up. And as I said, we'll just talk a little bit about the book today. Uh, not not a whole lot, but I will address some little things like this. The book doesn't start out this way. This is not necessarily a made-up scene, but throughout the book, Mike is basically like being a detective, going around trying to prove that Pennywise is coming back. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of the stories he stumbles upon. You don't really get into the story and see a lot of it, but Mike is made aware of it and that this happened. Mm-hmm. And to, to put into reference, by the way, as we'll talk about the movie as we go on, uh, Pennywise gets to like what, like five or six kids? In in the movie that he that disappear, I think is yeah, what they say. it's like a rash of them. In the previous cycles, every twenty seven years, there would be one hundred and fifty to two hundred people that would go missing. Jesus Christ! So yes, they absolutely did stop Pennywise and incapacitate him to put him down without only killing like ten people. But yes, Pennywise would cause disasters, big time disease. You know that's what they would use. It was as, like the Mothman. Yeah, that's what they would use as an excuse. But he would kill hundreds of people. So. They do put a stop. And I want to mention that right there. So there are a few deaths here that Mike is scouting out. And this is one. They sort of dramatize it, dramatize it for the, the intro here. Well, it's a well-done scene. I think so, it's very nice to introduce Pennywise this way. So is Pennywise only limited to um, Derry? Is he only powerful in Derry or is he powerful everywhere? He is powerful technically everywhere. He just prefers to stay in Derry at this point. Mm. So, yeah, he, he really can go where he, and he does. But... For the most part, he does stick around Derry because he has ultimate control in that area. He has influence upon everybody who doesn't have imagination. Oh, okay. So basically any adult. Any adult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the cops show up to investigate the girl's death because it's pretty gruesome. I think they Pennywise ripped off her arms. Yeah. Pennywise would have bit into her. And yeah. Her arms off. Yeah. Uh, a librarian finds a picture of Georgie. This is another made-up thing. Never happens in the book. Uh, it's just a shorthand to get us into that. And listen, I, I've always said this. Movies are movies. Books are books. You know, you're going to have to do some level of adaptation between the two. Mm-hmm. You, you really are. 
And, you know, you're just gonna have to use some shorthand. So there will be changes and stuff like that. But I think this is a nice way to sort of tie the past and the present together. And for them to move quickly here with that picture of Georgie as an establishing element that doesn't really exist in the book. Yeah. A man named Bill is at his computer writing his novel. Mike calls and Bill tells him he's back. And it automatically spooks him. So in television for a miniseries, and it's something that's really not done today as we talked about how streaming changes things. Mm -hmm. Commercial breaks were this looming threat you had to worry about as a writer. So you were going to have to prepare an act break, a tease for the commercial break, and coming in from that tease from the next commercial break. Like that's just how TV writing worked. So for it, you are going to write a seven-act screenplay, basically. And because of that, it works out perfectly for the Loser's Club Mm -hmm. and the seven phone calls. Now, in the book, this is a pretty long, about 200-page chapter about Mike calling all of the losers up and them dealing with the phone call. So this is not a bad idea to take as like a framing device for the entire first half of the film. Yeah. And that's what it is. All of Mike's calls are are our introduction to every member of the Losers Club, and it's our framing device for the flashbacks. And it, it is a good idea of where they want to take it. The screenplay is not always brilliant. As far as the adaptation goes, it does cover a lot of the story, and I think it's a good way to get it across. Mm-hmm. But it does go in a different order, which I think is interesting. But we, we start with Bill, who has a full head of hair in this version and not bald like in the book. Not just a full head of hair, but an epic ponytail. Yeah, he has, an, he has like a weird 90s ponytail. Yeah, he does. He has a weird late 80s, early 90s ponytail. It's a character into itself. We're with young Bill now. Young Bill. And Georgie. Oh, Georgie. He made him a sailboat out of newspaper. Yes. He uh, asked his little brother to go get the ceiling. Paraffin wax. Yeah, the paraffin wax. Yes. I used to use paraffin for my hands. It made them nice and soft. And it was in the basement. So there's a little creepy scene with the basement. Yeah. And, it, and I think this is done really well because the book goes into a lot of dialogue about how Georgie's afraid of the basement. Mm-hmm. And you visually get that across very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. The kid does a great job showing that he's utterly terrified of that basement, as most kids are. But he goes and gets it, and his brother paints the sailboat so it seals from the water. He takes the sailboat outside in the rain, and one thing his brother says before he leaves is to be careful. Yeah. This ominous thing about it. He is sick with the flu. Did we mention that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's unable to to go out. He, He really is quite sick, and we hear a little bit of the stutter during this bit as well. Yeah. Stuttering Bill. The boat goes down the sewage drain, and Georgie goes looks, looking for it, and he finds a clown down there, and it's Pennywise. Pennywise the clown. So we are introduced to Tim Curry here playing Pennywise. Yeah. And the thing I like about Tim Curry's performance is very few actors can shift from clown to horror as quickly as he can. And that's why it took a long time to find somebody to play the role. Wouldn't they do an excellent job in, in the next uh, reboot, finding someone to, to fill that? And his performance is legendary for a reason. Now, the movie neuters him because this is a less than PG-13 sort of affair mm-hmm. being made for network television. But he's really, really good here. Yeah. As he's in there trying to be playful with Georgie, you know, to not let Georgie on, not let on that he is this ultimate demon creature <laughs> who yeah. just wants to eat him alive. And... I love the way Tim Curry just sort of plays it, like all the fun that's there. There's a few elements missing from the book, but this is pretty much word for word, you know, except for talking about smells. You don't really want to cover smells in a movie. <laughs> he, pl- he plays it like a, like a, like a pedophile. Word. Yeah. And I, I think that is an interesting term, yeah. you know, 
you know, to be like, let me lure you into the van. Mm-hmm. We all come on. It's fun down here. There's puppies and kittens. And- yeah. Like I, just the way he plays it, I think is, is really fantastic. Yeah. And it is very different how it's played in, in the reboot. And we'll talk about that next week. He tries to entice Georgie to get the boat, but ultimately he gets caught by Pennywise. Yeah. And in this movie, like I said, he, Pennywise just opens his mouth to reveal a couple rows of sharp teeth. And that's pretty much all that we can see mm-hmm. in this one. But he does indeed uh, tear Georgie's arm off and bites into him. And uh, Georgie is killed pretty instantly. By the time a neighbor hears a scream and comes over to him, Georgie ar- is already dead a few seconds later. Yeah. Benny Weiss has finished him off. Pretty crazy. He kills kids. Yeah, yeah. He prefers the imagination. Mm-hmm. Fear makes them taste better. There's a funeral for Georgie. This and destroys their family. Bill, yeah. Yeah. At this point, they call him Billy. Billy looks at the picture of Georgie and drops it. And it starts bleeding. Yeah. This is an amalgamation of, like, the hauntings that sort of occur. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like a stand-in for the things that he's going to experience, basically. Because yeah. you can't do them all in, in the span of, a, basically, a 90-minute movie for all the flashback stuff. And it, it does a good job sort of getting across. It's a little hokey, you know, the way the effect is done. But in, for 1990s television, I'm sure it's creepy enough. Yeah. I'm sure it's creepy enough. But it is a little dated. And the parents can't see it, which is a good touch. They just, they're, they're unable to, to really recognize any of the elements of Pennywise. And if you're curious, if, if you've ever seen the show Westworld, like when any of the robots see something that's out of time or, you know, anachronism that doesn't belong, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like anything to me. That's kind of more what it's like. Like they might be able to recognize it, but they just can't process it. You yeah. Know? And like they like under some sort of spell where it just doesn't really register. We go to Bill in present day. He's talking to his wife and he's telling her that he has to go visit Mike. He talks about a pact that they made, and he's got to honor that pact. She begs to go with him, but he begs her to stay and not to come at all. Yeah, and this is sort of book accurate as well. This is mostly what occurs, a few things missing here and there. It does lay out everything pretty nicely. The one element that's a little unclear until we get to it later on is the amnesia. Mm -hmm. Like At this point, none of the guys can really remember what happened in Derry, but the second Mike calls them, they know something did happen. Now we meet John Ritter's character, Ben. John Ritter is a hoot as Ben. He plays a bit of a drunk. He is a little bit different than his book interpretation. And I would have liked to have seen John Ritter play a little bit more of that version of him, Ben. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not like this one is incredibly different, but I love his intro. He he goes to a bar that he's a frequent patron at. (laughs) And it's basically from the bartender's perspective, and the bartender knows him well. And if, if a bartender knows you really well, he's going to be able to recognize when you come there scared out of your fucking mind. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, you know, Ben's the coolest cucumber in the world, and he's freaking out about the phone call. And I think that's a more interesting way to introduce him than what we got in the movie. But once again, I think that chapter's like, that subchapter's like 80-some-odd pages. Yeah. So that's a lot to really get in there, and there's a lot inside people's heads and talking about old stories about Ben, which is, you can do in a book, fine. You really can't do that in a movie, just flashback within a flashback within a flashback. I think that's a really smart way to to lay that out as his character, because your bartender would know you pretty well. Yeah, yeah. You tell your bartender, because I bartended for several years. Yeah. You tell your bartender everything. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the way the story really lays it out, and I, that's why I wanted to mention here on the show, because you were a bartender, I knew yeah. you would like that element. I like that. that. That he, you know, because he orders the same thing, he orders like a, uh, like maybe one mixed drink and a couple of beers each time, and then he orders a stein full of wild turkey, and chugs the entire Jesus thing. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he chugs the entire thing in front of him, 
Uh, that's always how you know that somebody's a drunk if they drink wild turkey. The kicker in the book is that he always leaves him a $10 tip and he takes out these really valuable silver pieces and leaves them for the bartender. So give these to your kids, you know, some for the future because Ben doesn't think he's coming back. Yeah. And I, I love that element that he, he's still willing to go and he's probably the only member of the losers club who I think is very in touch with the idea of his mortality mm -hmm. that he doesn't know what's out there, but he knows he might not ever come back. Yeah. And he really is the only member I think that really gets that besides Stanley and we'll get there. Mike calls and tells him he's back. He asks if he will come and Ben says, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, he, he drops his, what's it called award, his Arch architect award, breaks that thing, gets the phone call. And uh, we just jump right into the flashback. Right to Ben's first day at dairy school. And by the way, this kid could barely classify as husky, much less fat. Yeah. I, I, I know to he's fat in the novel. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's a, he's a real porker. Like Stephen King is very clear to mention that over and over again. He'll describe fat kids and breasts till there's no tomorrow. Did he describe his breasts? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He just, yeah, he described how like fat he is. And th this kid doesn't qualify, but it's whatever. He meets a girl named Beverly Marsh. Yeah. And bullies are waiting for him outside already. He's yeah. already getting a dose of the bulliness. Well, these bullies are important characters. Yes. Because we have Belch. Henry. Henry. And I can't remember the other guy's name. Yeah, well, Belch and Henry are the, the important ones. The other guy just gets taken in by the deadlights. Yeah. Uh, Belch will show back up later in the book and burps in people's faces. And Henry is a sadistic fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of King work, they're always like a regular person who's just hanging around, who's just the most sadistic motherfucker who ever lived. Because he's like worse in the books, right? Yeah, he, he is. The, the, the reboot, I think the reboot actually makes him a little bit more deranged than he was in the other film, than he was in the book, actually. Uh, but he, he is certainly a, a depraved character. And he, he's cleaned up a little bit here for this version, but he still is just like, even later on, he's like, let's go kill him. Yeah. Like, there's no Pennywise around. Let's go yeah. kill him. <laughs> so, I mean, he is, a, he is a pretty sadistic fuck. Ben slips out of bullies' grafts after almost getting cut. Uh, the bullies threaten to cut him on the stomach or carve their name in and him. He, doesn't get, he does like not that. get cut here, right? No, he doesn't. Okay, so he in, slips out of it. In the book, in that scene I just told you about, he opens his shirt when he remembers Derry and he shows him the H. On it, carved into his stomach. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he did carve that into him in the book and does not do it here. They go after Ben, but he hides in a drain. The bullies come across Billy and his friend Eddie looking for Ben. They leave, and Eddie, Eddie basically starts having an asthma attack. His, Eddie's kind of a nerdy character. Eddie's spaghetti, yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting. Eddie is, his mother's a hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. Even, I don't think that word is said in the... In this version. She almost like by, by uh, Munchausen's by proxy. To some extent, yes. And so that does carry over from both versions. And I, th I think it's done quite well in, in, in both movies and, and the way it's transferred here. I think it's, it's pretty well done. You understand everything about, you need to know about this kid. Yeah. He's fighting with Ben and he sees his dad with a balloon. And he slowly turns. So this is the, the creepiest scene. Yeah. In, in my opinion. Like he, he, he wanders through the, the woods and he sees... The entrance into the sewers. Yeah. And it's over this body of waters. has like a like, bog. Yeah, bog, like lily pads and all this stuff yeah. on it. And in there, he just sees his dad standing there on the water. Mm -hmm. Not in the water, on the water. Mm -hmm. Like Christ himself. He's like, hey, this is my new home, son. Won't you come and visit me? And the way it's lit is not right. His voice is just off. Everything about it sends shivers up your spine. Mm -hmm. 
Like, and it's great because we keep cutting back to Ben, to him, and every single cut, he is more like the clown. It starts off with just the balloon. Yeah. Then it becomes the buttons, then the pants, and then, you know, eventually it is just Pennywise out there before we get, like... The skeleton. His rotted version. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the PG-13 version we could get in this movie. That's the TV-safe version as opposed to, like, the rotting corpse that we have in King's work. Yeah. He crawls out of the muck towards Ben. It's a pretty creepy scheme. We're yeah, back. this is the be- This is the creepiest, uh, most disturbing part of this movie, Mike. Mm-hmm. We're back in the present day with Beverly. She's apparently dating a jerk. Yes. Beverly is dating her father. Right? Somebody she works with. <laughs> yeah. Mike calls. She tells the jerk she's basically leaving to Maine, and he smacks her. And they start fighting. But she fights back, and she escapes him, and she's off. Yeah, this is... Um, An empowering scene. Yeah, this is very similar to what occurs in the book, except he's her husband there. But for the most it is very, very similar to what occurs, except there's no descriptions of breasts in this one. Yeah. There's no descriptions of breasts or how good a fuck her abusive husband is. Oh. It's just a weird thing. Stephen King will always introduce a weird character trait a lot of the times. <laughs> and that's one of them. So Wow. Yeah, hey, listen. It's so King. he's a good lay, but a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a good lay, but he, he absolutely wants to control every element of her life. He's a miserable piece of shit, and I'm glad he gets got in the book, which does not occur here. The second he leaves the miniseries, he gone. We never talk about yeah. it anymore. But he does show back up in the book. And Pennywise, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for next week because that's not even mentioned here. Back with uh, Beverly as a kid, and she gets a nice poem that Ben wrote her. She doesn't know exactly who wrote it, because he doesn't leave his name, but he writes her a poem and leaves it at her doorstep, and she goes out and gets it, and she reads it, and she's really, like, heart-struck by it. Uh, But her father catches her. Yeah. Your hair is winter fire, right? Yeah. January embers. My heart burns there, too. It's a nice little bit, and it's important because we will get it later on. And yes, like obviously her dad freaks out. Yeah. And her dad is just kind of an angry psychopath in this one. Now he's an angry psychopath in the book too, but he is, it's a lot more implied he's controlled by Pennywise. But he's a molester in the book, isn't he? He, well, when Pennywise is in control, he is very lustful towards his daughter. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Cause they did, they don't really stay. It's not really clear in the movie. Yeah. I mean, they, they, well, what's really cut out is Beverly's sexual awakening is a huge part of her story. I mean, the coming of age part of a lot of the of the book is kind of missing. You know, it's just a story about an evil clown mm-hmm. is what we get. You know, and that that's what's lost in translation from medium to medium is you're just really not able to tell that kind of deeper story when you have a lot of other plot to get to. Yeah. You know, there's some there's a lot of things you just have to focus on. And and obviously, you know, talking about an 11 or 12-year-old girl, you know, discovering her femininity is an uncomfortable topic for network television to Mm -hmm. cover. And so it's something they really weren't going to bring up. And so with that, a lot of the molestation stuff from her father, that's creepy. Like that gets left behind, even though it's very unsettling and very scary. Yeah. I think that it's left behind. I understand. I understand, but it is what it is. And that's another topic. We'll also another one for next week. Cause there's, there's more of it in that book, in that other version to talk about. Yeah, Cause Beverly has the worst childhood. Then there isn't. So yeah, Beverly's poor. Yeah. Beverly's poor. And her father is abusive and, a little bit of a molester, but not, yeah. not not much until Pennywise gets a hold of him. Well, anyways, he smacks her, and her dad tears up the poem, and she runs away. Ben meets up with her, and he introduces he introduces her to his friends Eddie and Billy. Richie, played by Seth Green, shows up. Yeah, so we have a uh, nice early work here by Seth Green mm-hmm. uh, playing Richie, baby Seth Green. Yeah, who I, I think does a better job. 
as younger Richie than we have as older Richie. Yeah. And I will talk about that in a bit, but I think Seth Green found a just enough of a annoying fifties kid with just enough innocence and charm to make that character mm-hmm. work for me. The, Oh, by the way, it has to be said, the acting in this film was really impeccable. For a TV movie from 1990, it's really well. Yeah, the kids really. Yeah, the kids are great. The, the kids do better stars. than the adults. I agree. Except for John Ritter. Yeah. John Ritter's an 80s, 90s god. Well, he shows up to help the kiddos build a dam. I don't know why they're building a dam. It's not really clear. Well, yeah, there, there's. They're there's, just building a dam. Trust me. I learned a lot about how dams are built. I learned a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> These are details I learned a lot of from the book. There's more important stuff here, but it's not that important. We're, we're already 38 minutes into this, so we got to get moving. Beverly has <laughs> eyes for Billy. Yeah. There's a shot of Beverly at the sink, and it starts to talk to her and starts threatening her. A balloon comes out of it, and all this blood. She gets, she gets freaked out and gets her dad to look at it. But he's, he just looks at it. It's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Yeah, he cannot see. So this is one of those things where as well, it just kind of becomes a sight gag here in the movie, as opposed to the you know unsettling terror of the blood coming that's in the book. And it, it is nice that it's represented, but it loses its teeth. It, it's, it's not quite all there, even if it is there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It, it is a tough translation. Like I said, that's what makes adapting King so damn difficult. You know, there's so much going on inside characters' heads. And it's tough to portray that, especially in 90 minutes of television. So he doesn't believe her, but so she just decides to make up a story that she saw a spider. Yeah, because he goes, I mean, there's blood, not everywhere, but it's a lot of blood. He puts his hands in the blood and nothing affects him. And for the record, I will say, the blood is there. He just cannot see it. Yeah. If she doesn't clean it up, it will rot and stink. Yeah. And he'll never know. He'll get sick using that sink. She has to clean it. I want to stress that because the book stresses that. Mm-hmm. In case you're curious, well, why should you worry about it? Because it is there. <laughs> Just no one else can see it. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, because he puts his hands all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. Yeah, his hands have that blood on them. It, it states that. He, he has covered in gore when he leaves that area. Mm. We got another flashback or flash forward flash to forward. present day for Big Eddie. Big Eddie. Big Eddie. And his mother is pleading with him to stay. And he tells her what's, he wants her to tell him what's going on. So I, I was going to make a big revelation and I got really sad that the kill count already did this because I was going to talk about how this character is queer coded when he's not in the book, he's married, he has a wife. And I just wanted to mention that he is very much queer coded because he only has his mother who he has stayed with all these years. And oddly enough, the book goes into a lot of detail that his wife is just like his mother was. Yeah. And this was a really good idea by this miniseries to just have him be with his mother because that's a great shorthand for dealing with that whole story and dealing with his annoying fucking wife who's afraid of Al Pacino. Afraid of Al Pacino? (laughs) Eddie owns a... uh, (laughs) What a weird fact. He owns a limousine company. And he has to drive Al Pacino somewhere the next day. And since he's going to go battle Pennywise, he can't do it and his wife has to. And she's afraid that Al Pacino is going to yell at her. Okay. <laughs> I, I read the book. All right. There's tons of shit in there like that. Tons of it in there. You want to know about the Ben's bartender's family history? I got it for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Yeah, I got it for you. Yeah. I could talk about his coworkers. <laughs> Back to the past. We're with Eddie and they're going and watching a scary movie. They accidentally spill popcorn on the bullies below. Yeah, this is a fun little scene. And then Richie just basically drops his entire soda on them. And the game. Richie's like, like, ah, fuck it. He just throws it down. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die happy. Like it's like, dude, I'm not afraid of death anymore. And just covers the bullies in soda. Yeah. The gang runs out of there. This is where we meet Eddie's mom. 
and she is super needy and weird. She's very overbearing. He's in the shower, and all the shower spouts c start coming on and going towards him. And then Pennywise comes towards him from the drain. Yeah. This is a real bastardization of what's in the book. Um, he's offered a blowjob by a leper. Mm -hmm. He bears his sharp teeth. And this is where I realized that we're going to get a storyline for each person. If you've never seen the movie, this is where you're like, okay, so we're going to get like a little bit of flashback, a yeah. little bit of storyline. It's just like I said in each the intro. Kid. Yeah. Each, each person is one yeah. of the seven acts. Yeah. And it really hurts the other film that they don't have a defining thing for each act. Yeah. In my opinion, but we'll get there too. We're with famous Richie now and he tells his agent or someone he's got to go. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is um, Rich, Richie's a radio DJ in the book, but it's, it's pretty similar. Yeah. You know. He's an actor. Flashing back again to the gang. Cops come to warn the kids there's been another murder and that they need to stick together. Richie has a run-in with the bullies and ends up in trouble. Pennywise shows up in the basement with Richie. He thinks he's seen a werewolf. So that's one thing about Richie that he, he sees werewolves. Yeah, well, you have to understand, these kids grew up in the 50s, so a lot of what they're afraid of are 50s monster movies. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the book, we have the, the crawling brain, uh, and that's a, a, another monster from a different 50s movie. And so a lot of those elements are a little lost, which is why they redo them in the other, other version as well, because you have to update them for the 80s. And really, it should have been Jason Voorhees running around if you want to get technical mm -hmm. or Freddy Krueger, but those are licensed. Same problem here with using Dracula, who does show up. You know, you, you, know, you, can't, just show, you can't just shove Dracula in a Stephen King book and yeah. not, not make a big deal about it. Or Stephen King adaptation, not make a big deal about it. So it is a little bit changed here, but the, the gist is sort of the same. And the dialogue is the same from Pennywise. You're going to float, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like I said, the, the gist is here. It's just a little bit different and obviously a, a little cleaner and sanitized. Yeah. That werewolf has great nails, by the way. Did you notice that? Right? Yeah, like when he puts his hands on later in the movie, they are perfectly manicured. <laughs> I just imagine him like killing somebody. Oh, wait. <sighs> just, <laughs> just checking out those nails. Well, Richie runs and tells everyone. They all kind of laugh at him because of his, his fear of werewolves. Yeah, yeah. He just had a great moment where he stood up to the bullies and he looks like an idiot telling him about the werewolf. And it's not followed up on. We just cut away. We meet a young Mike and he's doing a report for, in front of all the class. So Mike... When he immediately gets to Derry, he's like, this place fucked up. Yeah. Like, because Mike can see some, like, Mike can look around and be like, a lot of people have died around here. Because this is what he brings up immediately when we first meet him, right? He's talking about the past of the town. And he's like, there's been a lot of mysterious deaths. And immediately the teacher just Heisman's and no cells. Yeah. Like, every adult, like, yeah, we don't want to talk about that kind of crap. But, like, any kid who mentioned history would be like, wow, man, every 30 years, something fucking horrible happens in this town. Yeah. Weird. Almost 30, wait, almost 27 years to the day to be exact. Well, he gets bullied, and he's called the N-word. That's what happens to bullies. Mm -hmm. So I have a cute story about this one. John Ritter, I listened to the commentary track, guys. It wasn't the best commentary track, but I got to hear John Ritter talk. And by the way, after that track, I think he died like four or five months later. Yeah. Aww. So anyway, on the track, he tells the story about the kid who plays the bully, Henry. And he said in rehearsal, he wouldn't say the N-word because he, he, he thought it was so offensive. And John Ritter and the actor who played Mike thought that was so adorable. They had to go over to him and be like, it's, it's just acting, kid. Like, it's okay. Like, we know you don't want to call him the N-word, but it's okay to say it. Mm -hmm. So he had to practice saying it to him a couple of times before he could do it. And after each take, you go, sorry, man. 
Sorry. He's like, the, the I had that like, same fact. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Wait, John Ritter told the story was just so cute. Yeah. He just he was like, it was adorable. You know, you just, you just love to see that, you know, and he just had to remind the kid, it's just acting. It's none of it's for real, you know. And John Ritter's just, he was an absolute dad on this commentary track. He was a real hoot, tons of dad jokes. It's not necessarily worth listening to. Maybe the director's grandiose view of himself. He really loves his own movie. <laughs> He's like, oh, I got to say, this uh, first act here is uh, probably one of the best acts of television they've ever put <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, like, I mean, he absolutely loves his adaptation. He really does. Lee gets called the N-word one more time, but the gang gets the better of the bullies. Which did surprise us, by the way. We were not ready for a hard R. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The bullies get got by throwing, they, the gang throws rocks at them. And they hit Henry in the head a few times. Yeah. Basically, Belch and the other guy run off. Yeah, they're, they're scared shitless. Terrified by rocks. And then we get a shot of the gang looking at pics of old Derry. And the pages start coming to life. And I really like this scene. I think this is kind of creepy because Pennywise is like really far in the background. And then he starts coming towards the foreground. Yeah. Th- this is limited by the effects budget. And th- I liked it. This scare is done much better in the remake. Because they, they, first of all, it has better tech. They're able to use the projector, slide projector. And that, but it's the same concept. It's the yeah. same scare. And it works really, really well in that film. I give this film credit for working with the TV budget. Mm-hmm. And not just TV budget, but TV time. You don't have the time to work on all this stuff. You don't have the time to go back and reshoot anything. It is what it is on the day, and you got what you got. So be that as it may, I agree with you. This effect is pretty well done, certainly for a 90s TV mm-hmm. budget. I think it looks very good. And Tim Curry's performance, you know, when he's just- Creepy. Yeah, when he's just shouting into the camera- you know, you know, I, I'm your greatest nightmare come to life when he's doing that whole bit. That's great. You know, and, and, you know, the hand coming out of the book, you know, all of it really works. It, it terrifies the kids that there's, he absolutely is a supernatural force and there's nothing they can do to stop him. Mm-hmm. And they? Mike is in the present and he has a balloon pop right in front of him. Spooky stuff. We're with Stanley and he gets a call from Mike back to the past with the gang. Beverly wows them with her slingshot ability there's a moment where they all share eddie's inhaler yeah and head to the sewers this movie's looking for a stand-in for the movie where they all share beverly instead yeah (laughs) we'll get to it we'll talk i I will have a segment for that next week we're going to talk about that because i want to talk about how the other movie sidesteps that as well but you guys know what i'm talking about the stephen king it gangbang but you know, I said well, I will talk about that next week because we're probably going to get into it. It's just so crazy. Next week could easily be the longest show we've ever done. Bullies are once again close behind the gang, and they go in further into the sewers. Yeah, and this gang—I mean, they're flat out like, "Let's kill these kids." They follow them, and one of the bullies is being taunted by Pennywise, and he gets caught. Yeah, he's just sort of taken by the light, right? Yeah, yeah. The light just comes and gets him. Comes and gets him. And oddly enough, that's fairly creepy. Because a lot of this movie ends up in deaths that are just like, you know, a slow zoom in or a push in on a character's face. That's one of the better ones. I like the way Belch dies. Yeah. When he, like, uh, he gets sucked in the tube. Yeah, he gets brought into the tube. I like that a lot, too. That's very, very creepy. Stanley gets plucked up by the bullies. One of the bullies gets sucked up into a tube, which we just, just talked, talked about. about Belch. He gets caught by the light that comes back and Stanley runs. The last bully gets caught. The light comes for the gang. They get away. The light engulfs what's his face and his hair turns white. Mm-hmm. And I do like that element because that carries over from the book as well. It's, I mean, this is kind of what happens in the book. Just really simplified. Yeah. Smoke forms and they hold each other's hands through the fog. They start seeing things. Pennywise comes for Stanley. 
The gang starts attacking and Pennywise tries to escape. The gang leaves the sewers thinking they killed it. They make a pact that if it ever comes back, they will all be back to kill it. So, yeah, the, the kids, well, you just, you really just ran over a ton of story in like two sentences. Um, <laughs> keeping it moving. Um, well, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's what's sort of tough about covering it. Obviously, this is not the same as how things occurred in the book. You know, you know when you're battling Pennywise, you know, you're going to travel through space and time. <laughs> that's just an element that you really can't cover in a movie like this or even in a more ad, a more recent adaptation mm-hmm. because it's a really abstract concept to just sort of cover on screen unless you're, you know, Michelle Gondry or some other weird avant-garde director like that. So, you know, they have to simplify things down a lot. You know, we get Beverly shooting the silver pieces at him and obviously the inhaler is battery acid, which only enough is a moment that, that really resonated, I think, with audiences for a long time. I, I always heard that reference for many, many years. I know kids love that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and they really do when he melts his face. And he, I also, I have to throw a shout out for the worst stop motion effect ever as he goes down the, the drain pipe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like he is the most phony Pennywise that has ever Pennywise. <laughs> yeah, but basically that's what happens. They make a pact that they'll come back if, if Pennywise isn't dead. Yeah. But we're back with grown up Stanley. And we have to mention one thing before we go to Growing Up Stanley. It's that they all make that pact. Mm-hmm. All of them together. And uh, now, oddly enough, the, there, there is the, the gangbang, and then they still make the pact anyway. Um, so narratively, you don't really lose a lot. But they, they do that, and Stanley is the most hesitant to put his hand back in to make the promise. So as he gets the phone call, he immediately tells his wife he's going to go upstairs to take a bath. Yeah. And she gets his beer ready for him. She's actually going upstairs to scrub his back, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're real, real close like that. Yeah, that's what they do. I, w- I don't think I want to scrub your back. You wouldn't want to scrub my back? No. She's going to wash his hair. You just, you're a grown-ass man. It is a, it, it is a plot point in this story that it is weird for him to shut the door while he's taking a bath. Huh. That's un- and that freaks his wife out. Well, I never shut the door. That's, that's true, but I'm just mentioning that, like, that's, I mean, I always shut the door. I know, you do. I, I don't know. Well, I guess I know why. Yeah, yeah. We have a daughter. I don't want to yeah. just wander. Hey, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. I mean, I just, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I know you don't care. I know. You got no shame in your game. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, I just wanted to mention that. Like, that, that's a part of it right there. Stanley is so terrified by the concept of having to go back and battle Pennywise that he goes upstairs, draws a bath. And slits his own wrists. And as he's dying, he uses his blood to write one word on the wall. It. His wife comes in and discovers him, screams and drops the knockoff Miller Lite and the glass she was going to put it in. Yeah. And that ends the, the first night of the miniseries. Th- this scene is very, very close to the book. Except we find out a lot more about Stanley and everything like I told you about that's out of the ordinary here. And you understand a little, a lot more about his fear that he has, but I think this movie does a pretty nice job showing you that, mm-hmm. that this is the most terrifying thing he could ever imagine. And his death is far more brutal in the book, but that's not important. The, the gist is there. Ready to continue with the it story. Yeah. So now we're going to get a lot less of the kids and, and we're going to be having right, with the adults. Yeah. And, and the act structure here isn't as tight, which is the big problem. Yeah. It, it really is two separate movies. It and, really and I'm, is. I'm okay with that because I understand. It's almost two separate styles. Yeah. I mean, this is a little bit closer, I guess, to how the book is done because you kind of go back and forth as opposed to like the movies separated them out entirely. And I, we'll, we'll talk about it next week. I think the second movie suffers from having to cram flashbacks in. Yeah. 
which I don't really know why they did that instead of focusing on the narrative that they had. That was the point. But in, in this movie, it, it just, it doesn't really help. We get a few more flashbacks here moving on in the second half, but it's just not as tight. Billy is back home and he visits his brother's grave, but he ends up seeing Pennywise. Pennywise has seven graves, one of them filled. Mm-hmm. And nobody else knows Stanley is dead yet. Yeah. I love Bill just going back there and he's like, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> Utterly terrified. I'm not afraid of you as a trail of urine runs. Yeah, I know. He heads to the library and meets up with Mike. And then Billy has a memory. Just a memory. He remembers the first time he saw Steely Dan in concert. Yeah. He goes, he just puts his lighter up in the air and sways back and forth. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, that's the memory. That's that's what happened. Yeah, that's how it went down. <laughs> he remembered Steely Dan and Pennywise said, you know what, Steely Dan's great too. And they jammed all night together. <laughs> just Pennywise like, slap in the bass. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What a different movie. <laughs> you, know, you don't like my version? <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back in time and change Stephen King's version of that one I just wrote. Richie shows up in town looking for Mike. He's already being hunted by Pennywise as well. Richie is the most annoying motherfucker who ever lived. I can't stress to you how much I hate this interpretation of this character. And I mean, he is a little much in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, some of his characters are a little on the racist side, but it was 1985. That was okay. I mean, it wasn't okay, but it was accepted in comedy is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you could, you know, you could have a buck Asian character with a flapping dicky, and that was considered high comedy. That worked then. It doesn't really work. And it barely worked in 1990. Mm-hmm. And there's still a reference to it when we get introduced to him, right? Mm-hmm. He still does like some kind of racist voices. You know, that was barely okay then. And in a few years, it wouldn't be. And by 10 years later, it was absolutely un- unheard of. But it just lets you know how fast comedy changes. Pennywise makes balloons pop blood all over everyone. So blood's just being sprayed in everyone's face and they're okay with it. Yeah, everyone is usually terrified in different ways here. The blood is usually reserved for Beverly because it's about her period, or at least that's what I've always read into it. Not, not that other characters can't have that, but for the most part, that is reserved for Beverly. There's something different that happens to Richie here. But this stand-in is mediocre for what's there, and, and, and I want to rate it as that. Because other than Tim Curry showing up and being like an annoying jerk, there's really not a whole lot to really write home about here with this scene. It's just a lot of bloody balloons that explode during the daytime. And the actor playing Richie from Night Court, his name I just forgot, he is just like screaming to try to talk over Pennywise, mm-hmm. which, which I guess is supposed to be amusing, but it's just something that happens. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. Everything with him that's supposed to be funny is just so horrible. It really is. And I, I thought that when I watched this, like again, when I was in high school, that I, I really hated every single thing that... He did. Like, I felt almost every decision he made really just pissed me off. That's Harry Anderson, by the way. Ah. Well, Pennywise makes his presence known and forces Richie out of the library. And then we have a bike riding montage. So they do repair the bike in in the book, and they do take it for a ride. But this movie just gives us a really happy-go-lucky montage of, like, two grown men riding a bicycle around town. And it's past and present between Mike and Billy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they keep switching back. He drops a packet of they he drops a packet of cards because they were gonna put cards in the spokes like they did in the fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bicycle cards make the best noise. Yeah. And as he drops them, they're Pennywise yeah, they're branded. Pennywise's face all over him. Now that's actually not magic. He actually does have a par- a card playing company that he uh, sponsors. You know, and John Ritter actually took those playing cards. Oh, really? Yeah, from the set. I did not know that. Yeah, that's he great. Had that. Yeah. I guess his family has it now. I'd hope so. Ben, who is John Ritter, obviously, has... Oh, they buried it with him. 
Maybe. Yeah. It's the only thing he requested to be yeah. married with. Apparently, <laughs> my children, Pennywise. <laughs> That's not true. He didn't get time for that. He died so suddenly. Yeah. Single tear. I know. We just hit the 20 year anniversary of that, not like last week. Ben has another memory of being bullied. He sees his dad as a skeleton and he's spooked and hops back into the cab. Yeah, yeah. He has a weird little flashback montage where he has to step out to that old spot again. Yeah. And it takes him back to see a flashback that just doesn't really work out as well. Mm-mm. You know, I think the movie, I know it wants to cram in more of the themes from the book and a few little references to it here and there, but I think it would be better suited with being more focused on the adult narrative. Mm-hmm. We're with Eddie now, and he's talking to the old shop owner at the pharmacy. The old man's kind of like Looney Tunes. And- yeah, and, and this is the, the pharmacist who helped him realize that his mother was a hypochondriac and that he wasn't really sick. Yeah, because the inhaler was ambrosia or some, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So he gave him uh, like a placebo. Just basically that to you know, help the kid out and, and was the first person to, to give him the truth. And Eddie thanks him for that kindness. And immediately he is taken over by Pennywise and starts saying some creepy ass shit. Grabs him with a claw hand. Uh-huh, grabs him with his arm. And it's Pennywise talking through the old man. And at this point, already the movie is being bogged down, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a good way to put it. Bogged down. Yeah. Beverly goes home to talk to her dad and finds out her dad's been dead for five years. Instead of her dad, she finds an old lady. And the old lady invites her in for tea. So she has tea with the old lady that lives there. But it's not tea. Yeah, immediately things are amiss. Mm-hmm. She's she, acting she, weird. She sits down and she grabs the tea and she doesn't like, like slowly sip it. She's like, yeah. like sucking it down like it's like a, a thick broth or and something. Her teeth like are that. all jacked up. Yeah, their teeth are rotted out when she looks at her again. And of course, Beverly realizes, as you said, her tea is simply nothing but blood, which she throws on the ground. It's Pennywise again, and the house she went to has been boarded up, and there's no one living there. So she she runs out of the house, and she's like, looks back at the house, and it's all boarded up. And Pennywise is there on the porch. Laughing at her. Laughing at her, yeah. And when it cuts back and she sees that, it's just her standing on the road by herself with one yellow balloon behind her, you know, flying off into the distance. Yeah, Pennywise is pretty brutal with, with Beverly. Yeah, yeah, he he really is. Like he has it out for her. Yeah, well, I mean, he scares he, her the most. Yeah, that, that's I think that's the one that he does want the most. So yeah, Eddie shows up at the Chop Suey restaurant to meet the gang. So this is obviously from the book, and the scene is well covered. Like I said, it it does establish what happens narratively here. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, obviously being more sanitized for television. But you are missing a lot of the context and the dread that's setting on some of these characters and some of the fears they're trying to avoid and the fun of all their memories sort of flooding back, you know, together as they're chatting. The movie covers this in a really clunky montage. The second montage of the movie. Yeah. Sorry. Got up close up close first with your microphone there. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> 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 well, this scene is a mess. It is a mess. Yeah, they're all catching up and hugging. The montage doesn't really work. and Billy and Beverly Richie's, kiss. Richie is annoying. Billy cheats on his wife. Yeah. Like, he just gives her, like, a solid open mouth kiss, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that is not what, like, two friends do. <laughs> Eddie has a flashback of spraying Pennywise with his inhaler. 
And that's when he's like, oh, yeah, I do remember Pennywise. Because before they got he got to Derry, he wasn't really clear on the details. And that's what I think is lost in this version is, like, the guys really can't remember. Like, it takes them time in Derry to get all those memories flooding back about what happens, what happened to them as, as children. Mm-hmm. It really does. And, I mean, I like the way that, that it works. It's like a, a mystery in itself that the movie just sort of gives you early on. But having some of those elements in there is a little clunky, I think, especially when we've already seen that bit. Mm-hmm. So it, it is what it is. There's a uh, dinner eating montage. Dinner eating montage. Pass me the wontons, baby. They all talk about their relationships. And and then we get the introduction. I guess it would be the introduction of Henry and Pennywise in the moon. Yeah, well, the introduction of old Henry. Yeah, old Henry. Yeah, so Pennywise does appear on the moon to speak to Henry in, in the book. He does it earlier, as a matter of fact. And in this one, he uses him and the form of zombie Belch to convince him to go and find the Losers Club and kill him. Because Pennywise is still, for the most part, incorporeal. Like, yeah. He can't touch and really interact with anything. Like He can freak them out a little bit, but until he gets a little more fear, he can't really do anything to the Losers Club at this moment. Pennywise is really confident, for the most part. But, you know, and Pennywise is a little foolish in that, because he's like, adults don't have any imagination. The problem for the Losers Club is, one's an architect, imagination. One's yeah. a fashion designer, imagination. Yeah, one's, one's a, a writer, writer, imagination. One's an accountant. Okay, that doesn't fit. And he died, so it doesn't work. So he's, he's gone. But the thing is, like, these guys sort of have creative fields, and that's one thing that Pennywise didn't account for. So he needs a little help, basically, to make sure that nothing screws this up. Because he didn't get his allotment of kids last time because he was defeated. Yeah. You can't have that happen again. We're back with the gang, and Mike pays for the meal as, as the fortune cookies start coming out. And there's disgusting things like a dead baby bird. An eyeball. Which is the best one, the dead baby bird. Yeah. I know the roach might have freaked you out, but it's just a roach. That's that's probably the the cheapest one that they they have. This isn't as cool as what we have in the book, but it is what it is. They all go back to the library and they call Stanley. Also, can we talk about the fact that the, I know they sort of cover it in the movie, but why the hell is the poorest person paying for that dinner? Mike. Yeah. One of them is a radio DJ, the other, or pardon me, one's a famous actor. The other one is a famous author. <laughs> Another one is a world famous architect who has his own runway at his ranch. Yeah. And that's not covered in the movie, in the movie, but it is in the book. Well, this is where they find out that Stanley's dead and that he killed himself. He cut his wrists in the bathtub. By the way, Richie is being fucking insufferable during this scene. What was that whole joke? I get some of that dairy air. Like I like, ugh, that, like it made me just like throw up my mouth a little bit when yeah. he said that joke while we were watching the movie and it didn't go back better down watching a recap, but they do get that information about Stanley, which settles the room down. And another, one of the best scenes in this side of the miniseries, which is they open the fridge and inside they find his head, mm-hmm. his severed head, teasing them, mocking them as it slowly descends into Pennywise. And then we go to a flashback Stanley has where it's something that they're they're talking about Stanley's death and Billy mentions that he remembers something specific about Stanley and it's Stanley going into a creepy house as a kid and he gets trapped inside and a mummy starts coming towards him from the stairs and he was the last to get one-on-one with Pennywise. Yeah. He was the last one to do that. So and this is a, a version of what happens to him. He he does need his knowledge of birds to to defeat that in the book. And they use that here. It's a little different. So I appreciate them having a reference to what happened in the book and to what they could pull off on a TV budget. Yeah. 
We're back with the gang at the library, and Pennywise pays a visit as a severed head in a in a fridge. Yeah. Weird stuff starts happening. They all huddle up, and the weirdness stops. Yeah, it like rains inside the library. There's all this wind. There's basically a, um, like a hurricane inside yeah. there. And they, they do their loser's club huddle, and it, it pushes all the evil away. We're back with Henry. We're back with Henry. We're back with old Henry. Old Henry. He's visited by Ghost Belch. Belch, who is Pennywise, tries to convince him to go back to Derry. He gives Henry a knife and pushes him to break out of the psych ward. We're back with the gang, and Mike is giving a history lesson on the town of Derry. Let's talk about the the breakout real quick, because I I like that Pennywise steps out from behind Henry. Mm -hmm. That's a cool little shot. What isn't is the Rottweiler head. Yeah. Which... Yeah, he's attacked like that, but it's much cooler in the book. And, you know, the death scene is just like the camera falling onto the actor in, in slow-mo. And it's literally all it is. <laughs> just not even like a scream or anything, just a, a weird sound. It is sadly what the movie has for all the deaths, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah. It really is. It takes away from it a little bit. You know, I, I think they could have just skipped past it, in all honesty. But I wanted to mention it because I thought it was bad. Mike shows everybody old pics of Georgie. The, the same one that he found earlier there. Mm-hmm. So that never occurred. and. And uh, but it's the same difference. I forget what the stand-in is for this in the book. There's a lot that occurs. Billy's wife shows up. Yes. She yeah. sees the deadlights. Yeah. She's immediately greeted by a gas station attendant. And I, I believe at that time in Maine, they pumped your gas. You, they had to do it. So she's waiting for him to do all that and ask him directions. And he immediately starts morphing into Pennywise and then hits her with the deadlights and basically eradicates her mind. Yeah. She becomes catatonic. And never pumps her gas. That's son of a bitch. I know, what yeah, a jerk. Yeah, what a dickhead. Uh, by the way, th- this does occur in the book. Also, Beverly's husband does come to town in the book, and that doesn't happen here, which is fine, because he's not her husband. Beverly has a flashback of the blood in the sink. She cleans, but it reappears. Yeah, but another dick move by Pennywise. She cleans it, and then, like, ha, 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 and then she turns around, and it's back again. What yeah. an asshole. She's so fed up, she brings the gang into her house to see if they see the blood, too. And they do, and they all pitch in and clean up the blood. Yeah, he yeah. never came back after that. Yeah, this is a great scene. She talks about how she fell in love with all, all of them at that moment because she thought she was going crazy and she knew she had family at that moment. Yeah. And it's a nice little sequence in all honesty. Mm-hmm. It's close to what's there in the book and it gets the idea. Better than a lot of other scenes in this half of the miniseries. Millie has a flashback. But oh no, we're back with the whole gang. Henry comes out of nowhere and Mike gets stabbed. What was Billy's flashback? I don't remember. <laughs> And when you said that, I was like, what was this flashback? I think he just wrote it down. I was trying to think of what, what it was. I was like, there's a lot of flashbacks in the movie is all I'm saying. Yeah, and it's, I, it was probably an inconsequential <laughs> one. That's why I didn't write yeah, it Yeah, it wasn't more criticizing you. I was like, wait, I, when you said that, I was like, I remember a scene before that. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it clearly wasn't that important. Yeah. To anything. Mike gets stabbed. And there, Ben and Bev end up kissing it's not Bev. It's Pennywise. Yeah, this is another. This is another one of the standouts in this half of the miniseries. It is well played by Foe Annette O'Toole and uh, John Ritter as she reads him the poem all those years ago and expresses the gratitude. I knew it was you. And in that moment, like you know, Ben, you know, expresses his undying love for her and uh, kisses her, and it's a great. Like this emotional beat. It makes you feel good. You know, you're like, oh, good. They finally found each other. That's nice. And then Ben looks up from a weird looking kiss, by the way. And he kind of goes in for like a hug and he looks in the mirror and he looks at her pants and it's clown pants. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's Pennywise. And he comes back and Pennywise is a great line. Oh, kiss me, fat boy. I love that. And John Ritter just screams mm-hmm. and runs out of there. I, I, I think it's a really effective scare. Meanwhile, Mike is rolling around the floor with Henry. He's trying not to get stabbed again, but Mike ends up in the tussle with Henry, stabbing Henry. Yeah, they do end up killing Henry and releasing him from the group of Pennywise, finally. Yeah. They do him a great, great justice there by releasing him. They take Mike to the hospital. They all wait at the hospital for him. Yeah, Mike is now injured and is incapacitated. He will not be able to go on the final mission. Mm-mm. You have to find a new part of your crew member. Bev and Ben have a moment. They make out some more. Yeah, I like this. There's a great little scene when she reads the poem back to him again. He's like, is that you with a clown? Which I think is totally fair. And it's a great line reading by John Ritter to establish his madness at that one. And he's just like, for the love of God, just love me as a person. Please don't be that goddamn fucking clown again. Yeah. I, I loved it. The way John Ritter is really one of the stand. And Annette O'Toole is quite good as well. He tells Billy about going back to the sewers about 10 years ago. This is when he's talking to Mike in the hospital. And he mentions to Billy that he got the metal pieces, which I didn't know were earrings. Yeah, okay? they're, they're earrings. They're metal pieces in my notes, but I had no idea they were Yeah, earrings. because they just look like, like silver nuggets. Basically. Yeah, More they look like earrings. melted silver ingots. Yeah, like these kids found like some silver silverware. Yeah. Silver, silver, like they just found silverware and then melted, melted it down, down and made their own ammunition. That's what it looks like. The gang checks out of the hotel to figure out what they're going to do. They basically are all ready to give up and go to the airport, except for Billy. So this, he's staying. He's willing to go alone. So I, I want to mention something here that the miniseries doesn't necessarily cover about Bill. And the movie doesn't necessarily do it either. But, I mean, he is afraid of Pennywise. And I, he absolutely is. He's, he's scared. But he has this unseething hatred for Pennywise for killing his brother. Yeah. And he wants vengeance for that. He doesn't, and not necessarily vengeance. He's not going to let Pennywise kill any other kids. He won't let him destroy another family. Bill's seething hatred of everything that Pennywise ends is helps drive that team to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. This movie sort of portrays as a bit more sympathetic, but there is pure hatred for how he feels about Pennywise. And I love that, that there is this monster who is all powerful and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And it doesn't matter because this is one boy who is so hates him so goddamn much and overrides his fear. And this scene is another callback to that. Even as a man, he's still terrified, but he has to get that. He has to stop Pennywise. No matter what, they have to fulfill that promise and stop that son of a bitch. Well, they're all swayed by his speech. They are. They are. Yeah. He basically, I like how they intercut the flashback of him making a similar speech as a kid. Yeah. And him. It's a good cut. Good editing. Being emotional. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Like I said, this, this segment isn't all bad. This is, I still, this is a recommend here. It's just, this is a slower section. Mm-hmm. Well, they all head to the sewers. Billy realizes Pennywise has his wife because he finds her purse in the sewers. And he runs off like a man on a mission. Yeah. It doesn't matter because it's just a commercial team. He starts to crack. Yeah. But the game puts him back right. Yeah, he's, they find him a crying mess and they come in for a commercial break. Mm-hmm. They, they get everybody back on track again. They reach the inner chamber where they fought Pennywise the first time. Georgie's boat shows up and then zombie Georgie. Yeah, everyone is sort of confronted, you know, here. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Georgie, a nice little makeup, by the way, even though you can see his arm just tucked in. Mm-hmm. Like his stump is way big on one side, which made me laugh. 
Pennywise shows up, but he's like in a hologram form and he taunts the gang. Yeah, yeah. He's just like a spirit. Not even floating there. He really is just a projected image. Yeah. <laughs> it's a TV budget, guys. Billy, Bill puts the po- boat down and they follow it downstream to a creepy door surrounded by bones. Yeah, this is like straight out of a fairy tale. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Doesn't fit at all. Yeah, but this is this is accurate. It It is, but it doesn't fit. Yeah. It's stupid. I think it works. Eddie admits he's a virgin, and then they go through the door. Which, obviously, he couldn't be in the book, because of what we've mentioned previously. Yeah. And he has a wife, so. It is the biggest element to him being queer-coded in this, in this version of the story, for some reason. Inside the cave, there's a giant spider web. And, oh no, a giant spider. Yeah, so we get a TV budget spider, and it's not that bad, in all honesty. I think it's, I the just stop motion, like it. The stop motion isn't great, but I think its design isn't terrible. I just don't like it. I think they should have fought Pennywise. But they do fight a spider-esque version in the book, so I understand why they did that. He has to have some sort of monster form for the finale. Well, that's a failure by Stephen King, then. Well, they, well they, he actually appears as the spider to the kids. If he appears, he he should have, like, Pennywise's head or something, at least. I mean, they can still speak to him. I mean, they, they, go, they go into the deadlights, and they go into the, the ether of space to battle Pennywise. You can't really do that here. Okay, <laughs> so this is what is the stand-in. Like, Bill will eventually merge into Pennywise's mind and ask the Great Turtle for assistance in helping him battle this demon. The Great Turtle. And sadly, he's, he's unable to help him in the second time because the turtle's gone. <laughs> this is all shit that happened, I swear. Stephen King, I tell you. But it's all fine in the book because it makes a lot of sense and the whole, everything builds to it, like how ethereal he is and it's a sort of intergalactic nature to his evil and you know the the turtle evening him out you know there's all these elements here and in the, the book in the movie it just gets boiled down to he's a big old spider mm-hmm. so i mean i understand why it's here because he does turn into a, a spider spider-like creature that the brains of these kids can only interpret as a spider you know that's how they view him that's how they can see him but you know i mean it is it is what it is and i think i think in the in the other movie that he's like a spider version of it i think a spider version of pennywise so I think that that does help a little bit more answers your query. Yeah. But in this one, they, they did have to make a little bit more of a creepy spider with the, the lights on his underside. I, I just don't like this in- it doesn't, ending. It doesn't bother me, in all honesty, the, his design. I mean, the, the ending itself, I think, could be a, a little bit better. Yeah. Bev slings the metal pieces or the earrings at whiffs. the spider and whiffs the first time, but gets them the second time. But it does nothing. And it bounces right off him. It, but the light goes out in his body. Yeah. The gang gets hypnotized by the light. Yeah, so he lifts his underbelly up, and he has the deadlights coming out there, and and everybody runs right into the deadlights like an idiot. Yeah. Now, it was okay when Ben got caught there, because Ben was initially down there. Or no, Bill was the one who got caught first, and Ben came to try to save him and got caught in the deadlights as well. Now, I can understand Ben trying to help his friend, but Richie should have been like, Oh, wait. But Richie just runs right in there the same as Ben did, and they all get got. Mm -hmm. You know, so I can understand if it happened to a second person, but a third person, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, Richie's a fucking idiot. (laughs) Eddie tries to squirt his inhaler like he did back in the day, but it doesn't work this time. The spider grabs him and starts squeezing. Meanwhile, Bev gets a metal piece back and hits the spider, killing it, but couldn't save Eddie. Yeah, she, she does finally find the silver piece, and she shuts her eyes and fires it true right into him. We get a really strange chroma key 90s effect of a firework explosion inside yeah. it. I, I'd like to think that's the vastness of space imploding on him as well in the blackness, but I realize they just probably didn't composite a background in there. And then, like, Billy, Bev, and and uh, Richie, they all 
tear his heart out. Yeah, they all kick the shit out of him, beat him down, and pull out his heart and destroy it. Mm-hmm. Well, in the book, Pennywise is a woman and has eggs, and they crush the eggs. Yeah. They don't do that here, because that's a lot to get into. Yeah. The movie, Going into alien territory. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, the movie tried to stay away from that, tried to keep him more as like a, a supernatural beast in that town as opposed to like an intergalactic evil. And then we get, uh, basically, where are they now? Mm-hmm. Bill. They talk about Def Leppard, what they've been doing since Borsa Zagrami. Basically, Bill and Andrea are still together, or Audra, but Audra is never the same. Ben and Bev ran off together. They, they immediately had a kid. Yeah, got married and had a kid. They break the curse because none of the Losers Club has any children. Oh, but wait. Bill brings Audra back by riding his bike dangerously. So, as in the book, and by the way, this is one of the few times the, the movie will show Mike's notebook. And all the stories and stuff that you hear and about all the murders, Mike is sort of going through town, talking to people. And like collecting these stories in that notebook. And that's him closing out the notebook as he's losing his memories, recapping everything that happened to everybody. And yes, they do bring back the bike one more time. And he he rides with his wife dangerously through the town and it brings her out of her coma and defeats the deadlights. Yeah. And she loves her husband again as they are run over by a where no, as they stop trapping. Yeah, yeah, people are like honking at him and just making out. I mean, it's a it's a happy moment, but it's the way the miniseries ends, and it's fine. Well, that's about all for it. Yeah. The miniseries. Um, I have a few facts for you. Okay. Tim Curry's characterization of Pennywise was so creepy and realistic that everyone avoided him during filming. I wouldn't be surprised by that. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. Honestly, the way he did things was was really good. It was a good call. Not not a lot of actors could have pulled that off. Tim Curry was reluctant to take the role of Pennywise because he didn't relish the thought of being buried under so much makeup. When he played Darkness in Legend 1985, it was a difficult and demanding role. Yeah, I've done And the hours in makeup was still fresh on his mind. Yeah. To compromise, the director, Tommy Lee Wallace, minimized the amount of makeup on Curry. A lot wasn't necessary anyways because of Curry's performance. Yeah, and in all honesty, they they really just kind of uh, extend his head. He's wearing like a a piece on his head that makes his head go about a couple inches, two Mm -hmm. or three inches taller than it normally should. And I think there's something that's bringing his cheeks down a little bit, just some things to make him look a little more otherworldly yeah. and contact lenses, obviously. Yeah. But you know, I mean, that that's really it. So he was just going to have to spend, you know, an hour in the makeup chairs as opposed to, you know, imagine getting to set and being sitting in a chair for eight hours of makeup to play that demon legend and, you know, only working for five hours. And that's all you got for union time. Yeah. I mean, that's a real grind. People don't talk about that, but that is an absolute grind. Jared Blankard, young Henry Bowers, hated having to call Mike the N-word. He would often apologize to him before and after filming, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, it was a real cute story that, that John Ritter told that one. So, Scenes in the sewer were shot in steel mill. The theater scenes racked up many dull hours of waiting and retakes for the child extras. Tim Curry often came onto the stage in full costume and conducted sing-alongs with the extras, most of whom didn't know who he was. They thought he was actually a clown hired to entertain them. <laughs> I enjoy that he just got some clowning in on the side. Yeah. He himself sharp. Yeah, but it was very hard for him, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Mm. Alice Cooper was concerned for the role of Pennywise. That would have been awful. Yeah. In the novel by Stephen King, two of the children have connections to other Steen King characters. Mike Hanlon's father served in the army with Dick Halloran, the cook from The Shining. Eddie Kasparank oh. was also friends with a young Paul Sheldon, who as an adult was the protagonist in Misery. Yeah, Stephen King has a connected universe. Yeah. It's not a surprise. It is what it is. 
Metamorbid news for you. Jonathan Brandis and John Ritter died in 2003. Brandis hanged himself while Ritter suffered a fatal aortic dissection. Yeah. Brandis' suicide was a shame. He had a lot of potential. He had done a, a had a really nice career in all honesty. It had, he cooled, did. it had cooled a little bit, but you know, that happens a lot when you go from child to, you know, being an adult. And I still think he had a lot of great performances in him. And I feel bad he made the, that decision. I was always a fan. I, I loved him from Sidekicks, uh, the yeah. little Chuck Norris movie. I, I was a fan of his, like I said, and I, I felt sad to see him die. I was a big fan of John Ritter. Big fan. I, I The other day I was trying to convince you to watch Stay Tuned. Mm-hmm. Sort of forgettable John Ritter movie that I loved as a kid. I I loved John Ritter. I really did. I cried when he died. I I did, man. I felt bad about that. Poor bastard just falling over on the set. And, you know, the worst part about it was he got... If you have a heart attack, the ideal scenario is a hospital across the street. Yeah. Or you have it on set where there's a medic, you know, or like when Jerry the King Lawler had a heart attack. Yeah. He had it on roll. Best place you can have a heart attack. There's yeah. a, a doctor right there. They'd stick. If he hadn't been there, he'd have died like Eddie Guerrero did in his hospital in his uh, hotel room because nobody ever knew unless he had a heart attack. He got there and they gave him what you give 99.9% of people who have a heart attack. They gave him like a blood thinner, I think. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a heart attack. It was like you said. Yeah, and fatal aortic dissection. And that absolutely killed him. It was They signed his death warrant on that move right there. It, it, it was 100% an accident. I mean, it, like I said, 99.9, that's what you do. And sadly, this was the one time it wasn't, and it killed John Ritter. Yeah. It was, it's such a shame. Um, his family did sue the hospital, but the hospital was found. They weren't liable. Yeah, it, it was, unfortunately. It's an accident. It, it, listen, I understand their anger. I understand their heartbreak and their grief and why they'd want to sue. But, you know, it, it was just an accident. Yeah. As, as sad as it is. Sometimes bad things happen. That's it. You know, and it's a real shame. There was a, a real absence, uh, you know, when, uh, when John Ritter passed away. He was on a TV show at the time, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. And uh, they moved on w- without him. You know, they ended up bringing in James Garner and David Spade to, to, fill the, to help fill out the cast a little bit. But it was never the same without him, obviously. When the miniseries was first announced, it was to be a 10-hour miniseries directed by George A. Romero. Yes. Romero did extensive pre-production work and closely collaborated with Lawrence D. Cohen to develop the script. But he had to bow out due to scheduling conflict with the remake of Night of the Living Dead, 1990. This has mirrored Romero's experience on another Stephen King property, Pet Cemetery, which he also st- slated to direct. Yeah, Romero really always wanted to do more work with King. He and King were good friends. They really were. They'd worked on Creepshow together. They, they really liked each other's style. You should hear King gush about Night of the Living Dead and, and Dawn of the Dead. He loves those movies. He really does. Yeah. He admired George Romero a lot. Really wanted Romero to do more of his work. And the only real adaptation he got to do besides Creepshow was uh, The Dark Half, which was torpedoed by the studio that financed it running out of money. Yeah. And you can see it when you watch the movie. There's plot points that are just not resolved or finished up because they never shot it. They ran out of cash. The last fact, and my favorite one, is this. Tim Curry, despite being widely known for his terrifying performance as Pennywise the Clown, ironically has suffered a debilitating case of call robe phobia, a fear of clowns, most of his life. His contract specifically stated that while on set, there were to be no reflective surfaces with inside of him. While he was in the makeup, a makeup tech was very nearly fired for having a makeup mirror in his hand while Curry was having his makeup applied. Mm. Wow, that was a cool fact. I was unaware of that. Yeah. What a horrible thing to deal with while playing the world's most iconic, horrifying clown. And he managed to entertain children, too. Yeah, yeah. he still did the clowning stuff. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. For reviews, this movie got a 4.2 user review, 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 6.8 on IMDb. 
and I chose a one-star review. The title of this review is by far the world's biggest piece of trash waste of time I've ever seen. <laughs> you, want, you want to get in how you really feel about that, buddy? <laughs> and here's how he felt. Don't get me wrong. I have respect for the writer. And yeah, maybe. And that's a big maybe. This movie was a bit scary when you were nine. Watched it in my 20s, but this movie was so bad that I actually made an IMDb account just to rate it. Three hours is way too long. Two hours and 45 minutes introducing characters and about three minutes fight scene at the end. Not to mention a pointless 15-minute dinner montage that is equivocal to a punch in summing up how good friends they were after getting that message for about two hours. No one dies. The only people that get scared are 12-year-olds and their older selves who apparently remained about as brave as their 12-year-olds that ended up going blind. People die? The movie ends with an adult losers club shoot this lame, dumb, some kind of crack-smoking, plot-twist, giant monster spider that the clown some the, someone really was, who happened to own a door to his cave, which is about as dumb as it gets. Anyways, they shoot it with an earring and it runs away. They chase it, punch it in the stomach, and it pulls out its heart. Apparently, this supernatural clown becomes a weeping female dog of a giant monster and just gets sucker-punched in 10 seconds of fighting. And yes, I'm spoiling it to save you three hours of your life. If you've actually read through this, you've already wasted enough time on this film. Get the book or something. I've heard it's better. He's, he's heard it's better. Well, he didn't really like it at all. And, and listen, I can understand someone who is 20 coming to this movie and being like, what the fuck is this? Because it being done with the TV budget and in four by three, <laughs> like a lot of things could really turn you off of this. And the lack of really any kills. I mean, the kills are like a 50s movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like just like slow cutaways. I really can understand it not aging well. Be that as it may, I would still give this a recommend. I give it a six out of ten. That's about where I'm at. Six, six. Yeah. I don't want to necessarily say seven. Next week is going to be interesting because the two halves are two movies, and I, I like one and, and not crazy about the other. I'm curious to see how they age. I've only seen them the one time. Yeah, me too. So, and like I said, next week we, we've already talked about. We've already gone uh, about a hundred minutes here, but we will. Maybe have our longest episode next week because we'll go into a lot of book differences between both of the movies and how some of them separate. I have five things from the book that I have listed that I want to talk about next week when we get to them. And I'll reference this and obviously what occurs next week whenever they come up. Because there's some things that are missing. Yes, one of them is the gangbang, guys. Don't worry. We will talk about the gangbang. <laughs> but there's other facts that I, that I want to mention from Stephen King's 1100 Pages that didn't get left. And one thing I want to mention that I think was expertly adapted in a way that was even more clever than what King came up with. So, you know, with that being said, this is still a recommend here. I, I enjoyed this movie. Tim Curry is amazing. Tim Curry is worth it. Yeah, he, he really is. He's almost worth the price of admission alone, even if it's not particularly scary, but I am curious to see how next week's interpretation will hold up. Yeah. A few years down the line. We got a scars guard. Yeah. We have a we have a nice cast. We got the Kid Stranger thing, Sophia Lillis that we'd liked, and we already covered her in uh, Dungeons and Dragons. By the way, we talked about her, the actor who played Stanley. Do you know what movie he is in that we have already covered? I can't think of it. I've been trying to rack my brain since you mentioned it. He loved dogs. He loved dogs. He loved dogs. He was shot in the head. John Carpenter. <laughs> he loved dogs. Was shot in the head. It involves John Carpenter. Cujo? <laughs> he, he played the dog guy in the thing. 
Oh, there's the yeah. look. That's the one I told you. That's the look I want. You guys can't see it, but there's a look of remembrance. It's almost painful on her face. Yeah. Because I was like, the second I say it, you're gonna you're gonna be like, ah, you're gonna see his face immediately yeah, talking he's to the dog guy. talking to McCready. Yeah. 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 Whose name I just I just forgot that character name, but that's who he plays. He's been in a lot of. Yeah, stuff he is. He's a, a popular '80s '90s character actor. Yeah. So. But uh, no Ebert review this week because Ebert doesn't review TV shows. Very well. So that's it. Uh, with that being said, social medias, as always, Gritty Reboot at uh, G- Gritty Reboot Cast at gmail.com. That's how you get a hold of us via email. You can just look up Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok. Also, a great way to get a hold of us. Yeah. Really. Also, Carrier Pigeon. Fantastic. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, in, in any way you want to. Leave reviews, comment of any kind. We always appreciate it, guys. Please review. Meredith is tired. She's ready to stop doing this. Show. <laughs> I can tell she's like, I want to do something else. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, next week's going to be the real marathon. Next week's going to be the one we're prepare for. We'll take a break and eat something in the middle. That's how rough and long next week's show is going to be. Mm-hmm. We'll let you know if it ends up being two episodes, but we got a packed October and this is just the start of it. So yeah. I hope you enjoyed our first installment of it and be sure to come in for next week. when we talk about how Sophia Lillis turns into Jessica Chastain. Okay. All right. See you guys. Bye.